cool. So uh, are we are we all ready to go then, chaps? I think so. I think Hello. so. Hey. Mm. Hey. Had to happen. The boy is back. I'm just waiting for it now. I'm just waiting for yeah. it. This isn't the BBC Light programme. The Tony Hancock Appreciation Society presents Ooh, very nearly an armful, a Tony Hancock podcast. Hello and welcome to Very Nearly an Armful, brought to you by the Tony Hancock Appreciation Society. On the podcast, we'll be discussing Tony's famous series, Hancock's Half Hour. We'll discuss the show, its production, and what we liked about it. We rate and review the episode and just generally get our geek on about vintage comedy. We're your hosts. I'm James Griffith. I'm Martin Gibbons. I'm John Street. And I'm Tim Elms. And we're spread across the south of the UK in a line from Wiltshire to Essex via Kent. And our members are spread all over the world. We have members in Cramlington, Limington, Bridlington and Chessington. What are our tons? In this podcast, we'll be discussing Hancock's Car from the fifth radio series. This was broadcast on Tuesday the 1st of April 1958 at 8pm on the Light Programme, a mere two days after it was recorded on Sunday the 30th of March. This episode is Martin's personal favourite and certainly one that introduced him to the show in which a policeman calls asking Hancock to move his car as the council wishes to resurface the road. They discover that it hasn't moved in ten years. But first of all, chaps, what's everyone been up to this week? Well, a bit of this, a bit of that. I've been watching some of the... Uh, you inspired me to watch a bit of Alfred Hitchcock. I've been getting into yes. the films of, with Peter Lare in them quite a lot lately, so that's been quite enjoyable. Um, I think I watched The Verdict with him and Sidney Greenstreet and uh, Casablanca and... All those lovely classics in 4K, which was delightful. Fantastic. I've been watching a lot of TV as well, actually. I've watched... Uh, I don't know if anyone on this uh, pod is a fan, not exactly in the genre, but Succession. Is anyone watching Succession? I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it. Oh, my yeah, word. I've not seen that. Wow. A lot of Twitter chat about it. It's incredible. It's so well... It's the guy... One of the writers on it is also... He also co-wrote Peep Show does seem like a bit of a genre switch from the uh, comedy Channel 4 late night, early noughties comedy show, which ran for about, I don't know, eight, nine years. But mm. it's absolutely incredible. I think it's Jesse Armstrong, I want to say, uh, is one of the writers. If you get a chance to watch it, it's really, really good. It's um, I think it's lo- very, very loosely based on the Murdoch Empire Mm. I'd say, if I had to guess anything. I know it's uh, one of the actors, Jeremy Strong, uh, one of the leading actors, actually, um, he read Robert Murdoch's eldest son's autobiography to get an idea of the character he wanted to portray. Fascinating watch and so well shot, uh, so well directed and uh, really, really interesting if you get a chance. Like I say, not exactly in the genre, but I'd say it's definitely worth a shot. Yeah, it sounds interesting. Yeah. Brian Cox is the lead, I think, yes. in that one of the leads, isn't he? He's always Absolutely. And he's superb. Excellent yeah. value for mummy, I would yeah. say. Really good. Well, I haven't watched quite so much telly. And uh, uh, Tim did a fabulous visit to Caversham, picked up some, some wonderful archives. So I've been uh, converting some of those into PDFs and combining some of the images. Uh, I've got some brilliant stuff, Tim, this time with uh, some great PASBs and very interesting correspondence relating to the show. But the highlight for me was um, a press release. It was a spoof press release written by uh, Ray and Alan with their uh, description 
of of 10 facts about railway cuttings, uh, which I just thought was was brilliantly put together and one possibly for a for a future magazine. But um, I just read one of them out because they I just thought they were all brilliant. Brilliant. The attractive name of railway cuttings were given to this typical English street because of the delightful old world shunting yard and coal depot that spans the entire length of the back gardens. Um, <laughs> what a brilliant press release from um, from the BBC with a with this spoof from uh, from Ray and Allen with the the, the the description of railway cuttings. I was just going to say I spent two very happy days at uh, Caversham. Uh, Caversham is the uh, the site of the BBC written archive. So I've been there sort of four different days in the past. So, so it's six days we've been allowed to spend there now, uh, going through the files and looking at uh, archive material, which is, um, it's, it's, it's really good that we've been given access to it and, and it's great fun going through all the stuff. I, put, I mean, Martin mentioned the spoof press release. Um, there was a couple of other things that caught my eye. There was a, a memo from Duncan Wood, who was the producer of the TV series of Hancock's Half Hour, and this was uh, some, some years later. I didn't write down which decade it was. I think it was in the 70s or the 80s or whatever. But anyway, long story short, they, they were looking to repeat some episodes. And the, when they first came up with a list, it might have been soon after Hancock's death, actually. When they came up with a list of the episodes to repeat, they chose all the best ones, needless to say. And it was so successful that the BBC wanted more. So they went back to Duncan Wood and said, look, we want to do some more episodes. So in this memo, Duncan Wood said that these new episodes that we can show, they are, just bear in mind that these are the ones that were rejected last time. So they're not vintage Hancock, but they are reasonably good, is how he described them. And one of them was Lord Byron. Um, now, we, we know that some of the episodes of Hancock's Half Hour were regarded as, you know, not as good as the others, and the airfield at the bottom of the garden springs to mind and a couple of others. And not that we regard them that way, but people back in the day regarded them that way. But that was the first time I'd seen Lord Byron described in such a way because I've always regarded that as, as one of the best episodes um, from that uh, brilliant series. That, um, and indeed, we, we, we did a pod on it, didn't we, in, in the last series? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a few fluffs in there and giggles and things but nothing yeah. more excessive than you'd find in some of the classic episodes like 12 angry men or the blood donor for example indeed <laughs> lord byron was here 1821 <laughs> lord byron loves lady caroline <laughs> he didn't write that surely i mean he must have done there's loads of his poems all around the walls but he didn't go around riding on walls he wasn't that sort of a poet <laughs> He ran out of ink and he jotted them down on the walls to keep them fresh in his mind. You can't argue about it. It's here in black and white. If he didn't write them, who did? I don't know. Let's have a look. <laughs> Tim, I've now found it. It's actually dated 10th of November 1960. 1960? Oh, right. That's interesting. 10th of November 1960. That was no 10th of November. So they've repeated the best of Hancock. It was like it was 12 episodes repeated in 1960. Full series worth, then from series five and six and then in 1961 they repeated the entire series of hancock mm. so the sun and air finished the series on the 30th of june 61 and on the 20th of august they started a rerun of the entire series uh, august the same year and then the best of hancock the best of hancock which was the entire fifth sixth and seventh series 
was repeated in 1965, uh, which is the repeat series, along with the egg commercials that gave ITV the thought that oh, yeah, Tony's yeah. back and all OK. He's very popular. He's on both channels. And um, he got his Blackpool show ATV series on the back of those repeats and, and the egg commercials. It's great fun going through the files, coming across sort of memos like that, because a lot of the stuff is fairly routine, uh, mm. sort of budget allocation sheets and, and all this sort of stuff and wardrobe things. You know, then, then you, saw, you see a bit of correspondence like that that sort of, uh, you know, just sort of jumps out at you, you know, makes it really interesting. Indeed, yeah. I mean, that mm. shows you a bit more of the history of mm. repeats and what they considered at the time to be the best shows, which are generally along the same lines as people think now, but sometimes there's some differences, isn't there? Mm. Do you remember we had a discussion some time ago, I, when we, I think it might have been back when we did the Blood Donor one, but uh, when we, we discovered that the, uh, the recordings were made on the same night as the previous episode went out. And I think I made the point that if you went along to the recording of an episode, unless they showed it to you on a big screen in the studio afterwards, you'd have missed the one that was recorded the previous week, which I thought was a bit of a shame. Um, but yeah. one, of the, one of the documents I came across at Caversham confirmed conclusively that the audience stayed behind after the recording to watch the previous one go out, and they had screens installed in the studio to enable that to happen. Oh, so, okay. so if you got a ticket to go along to see the show... You went and watched them record it, then there was a, a little break, and then last week's recording went on to be broadcast, and the audience were invited to stay around for that and watch that. So you, mm. saw, you saw one being made and the previous one that you hadn't seen before. So that sounds quite a good night. It's interesting because there's that set photo, isn't there, of uh, Tony and Sid and Duncan Wood and all the crew standing around a TV set watching something. And, you know, we've yes. mentioned, could they have been watching the previous episode after they just wrapped on recording the current one? Well, maybe. It could and have been. off down the pub. Could be. Yeah. 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 That could be. And whilst we're thinking of previous podcasts, when we did the Economy Drive, we debated who was the TV presenter on the television. Oh, yeah, and, we did. And having listened to it again afterwards, I thought, I'm going to have another listen to this. Mm. I think it might be Alec Bregonzi. I don't know what everyone else thinks. Well, it sounds quite like him, doesn't it? It's definitely not the same person who was the announcer saying BBC Television presents at the beginning. So I think it's likely. Mm. I wouldn't know his voice that well enough as, you know. Mm. This waste has got to stop, Sid. Good evening. Welcome to another evening's television. And sorry, that's what we're saying is that's a different voice to the voice that's at the beginning of the episode when he first comes home from holiday and the announcer says, uh, no, this no. is BBC or whatever. We're saying that that voice is the same voice, but it's not the person who would have announced it in the opening right. credits okay. of the programme saying BBC television presents. Right. So it's right. likely it was someone like Alec Bregonzi because he often did their warm-ups, and it does sound the right age and the right sort of right. posh intonation. Just sounds it sounds very very like mm. him. I'll have to listen it. Yeah, last time I listened to it, I didn't think it was him, but uh, I'll have another. Li I'll have another listen. So I guess then it's uh, it's time for any Hancock headlines that we've got this week, Martin. 
I don't think we have any new headlines. Just a reminder to listeners that uh, the Marriage Bureau, along with Raiders of the Lost Archive, a little extract from the lost episode, the New Year resolutions and happy birthday, Hancock. The 75th birthday tribute presented by Andrew Sachs is out on CD and download on the 1st of June from BBC Audio and it's available through the usual download platforms of Audible and and others or indeed I haven't looked but I would imagine it's probably available for pre-order through Amazon as well so that's out on on the 1st of June. That'd be a lovely one to listen to while you're sipping sangria in the sunshine won't it? Sounds like a great plan. (laughs) We hope. (laughs) Yes that's good that's a good one. And we have more news about screenings at the Riverside Studios in London. So on the 24th of June at two o'clock, this is a Saturday, we're going to be showing three episodes of Hancock's Half Hour, The Set That Failed, The Cold, and The Lawyer, Crown versus James S. Uh, Martin and I will do an introduction to the programmes, and then we're going to take questions and answers afterwards. And then we're all back again on the 19th of August because we're then going to have a screening of The Punch and Judy Man, which is uh, fantastic. Uh, We did a podcast on The Punch and Judy Man last time and reviewed it. So this will be, the certainly for me, it'll be the first time that I've seen it on the big screen. Uh, I don't know if it's been put on the big screen anywhere since it was released back in 63. So this is the 60th anniversary of The Punch and Judy Man. And again, uh, Martin and I will do an introduction and take questions and answers afterwards. So that's the the three episodes of Hancock's Half Hour on the 24th of June, and then the Punch and Judy Man on the 19th of August at the Riverside Studios in Hammersmith in London. And the Hammersmith Studios were the venue where the uh, original programmes of Hancock's Half Hour were actually made. So it's an important venue for Hancock fans. And while we're talking about the Riverside, can I just mention that that we've learned from the Riverside that there's another screening taking place in July. It's not actually Hancock related, but it it is uh, vintage television. They're going to be showing two episodes of Z Cards on the 1st of July at 2 o'clock. Now, early episodes of Z Cards were made at the Riverside too, and they're going to be uh, showing an episode called Suspended and another episode called In a Day's Work. And the interesting thing about this screening is that the question and answers will be taken by Zedcar's star, Brian Blessed. Um, He played PC Fancy Smith in the series, and he's going to be uh, on stage at the end taking questions with Giles Brandreth. So uh, that should be another great afternoon at the Riverside Studios. Uh, We've had some great events there in the past showing showing, uh, Hancock programmes. It's a fantastic venue lovely uh, situation down by uh, Hammersmith Bridge and particularly in the summer it's really nice when you can sit outside and enjoy a bevy or two in the sunshine so uh, great stuff I did have a little something else to say if that's okay Mm, Uh, no you're not allowed (laughs) (laughs) sorry Tim you'll just drop offline in a minute then I'll talk anyway (laughs) (laughs) so I I went to do a little bit of charity shop shopping as I regularly do and i did come across a couple of um i've I've often come across sort of doctor who things which i sort of Mm. ping across to john and i did actually find a nice script book hancock's half hour script book and on the inside was an autograph where it looked like it's been signed by a richard carrington and i think i did send it to our whatsapp group and asked you guys if you 
knew who it might be. It turned out Richard Curtis was in the Archers. I think there's a, there's one picture of him that we can find from sort mm. of 1975. He looks like a fairly youngish chap. He looks in his sort of late 20s, I'd say. We wondered if he might be in in one of the Hancock's Half Hours. Possibly, because there is a young lad who presents Tony with the wreath in the Bowmans and things like that, and I think that's one of the scripts in that book, so it could be possible. Either that, or it might just be, oh, there's an actor, should I get him to sign this? And it might be a little bit random, but it's a bit of an odd book for to get someone to sign. It is. I think it's one of those books you take out with you rather than... You take it out with you if you know you're going to see someone or if you're at yeah. some sort of recording or or talk about it. And it's much more an autograph rather than I've written my name in this book in case it, I get I lose it. it it's looks, definitely it, a signature. It's definitely thing, a signature, yeah. 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 But if anyone knows uh, any more about Richard Carrington, anyone who's listening, mm, yes. I'd love to hear a little bit more information. No, it's fasc- fascinating to find that signature in, in mm. the Hancock book, isn't it? I just buy those, but whenever I find them, I just buy them now because I think it's... Uh, yeah, no, it's great. I mean, yeah. it's, it's lovely to find that sort of thing. Mm. Um, Richard Carrington isn't mentioned for the Bowmans. Um, just had a quick look at Wilmot, but um, as one to one to check against the other episodes. They weren't all credited. Yeah. So. Well, there's a lot of people out there who listen who do have a who who sort of go to great lengths to find information out for us. So, it'd be good if anyone's got anything on that, or any connection, if there's a connection at all. I just had a look in Cliff Goodwin because he's got a, an index at the back of all the uh, actors who appeared in radio and TV episodes mm. of Hancock's Half Hour, and he's not listed there. Uh, mm. So uh, the indications are that he never appeared on radio or TV with on Hancock's Half Hour. But uh, yeah, mm. he might have, he might have done something. Might have been. I suppose not every person who was an extra would have been credited and things like that. So there's there's yeah. every chance. Mm. But yeah, so uh, that's a fascinating one. And it's lovely to add those sort of different script books to your collection because mm. there are quite a few brought out of these. I think I've got most of them. I, might, I think there might, might be one that I've not got, but they are nice to have and they've got some interesting images and some of them have some lovely illustrations and there's one in particular. So Yeah, I think the, the, the best of Hancock is the one that's got the lovely, lovely hand-drawn illustrations does indeed wonderful sort of spitting image type caricatures mm, real caricatures they're really good well this one's got a lovely little ad lib it feels like an ad lib script of tony mm. uh galton and simpson going into a bar and ordering a round of drinks while tony sort of regales a story about uh but so it's quite an interesting little snippet of a, a script actually yeah. and isn't, mm. isn't isn't the one where he's talking about how much money he's going to get from the script book? Is that the one where he goes into a bar? Uh, is that it's the blue? It's the one with the blue front cover, isn't it? I think it was yeah, the first oh, one okay. that came out script book. Yeah, from about nineteen sixty-one or something like that. It's this one, Hancock. It's just called. Yeah, that's the one. That's the fella. Mm. So I guess then it's uh, time for any uh, tweets and emails that we've we've had through. Have you had any uh, interesting missives, gents? I had an email from Elton Merrion, one of our members who uh, often gets in touch, and he was talking, do you remember the last uh, couple of podcasts ago we did the Economy mm. Drive, and uh, I think we mentioned Lucille Ball in that. Oh, it's the I Love Lucy show. Lucy. Yeah, well, there, there was two, wasn't there? The first one was I Love Lucy, and uh, then it went on, I think after that, it was, was it called The Lucy Show? The Lucille Ball Show, maybe? I think it was just called The Lucy Show. 
Anyway, El- Elton was saying that um, with I Love Lucy, that we was talking about uh, Hancock being jealous of, of the control that Lucille Ball had and, and the way the programmes are made. And apparently she insisted on it being done on 35mm film. And they had five cameras filming simultaneously so that they could then take the film from each camera and pick the best shots out and, and put it all together. Uh, that would have been a dream scenario for Hancock, I think. And it's just the sort of thing that he wanted. But a cost costly way of doing it in absolutely. terms of film stock. Yeah. Because the yeah. the last thing he did, the nineteen sixty eight series that came out in seventy two, the Hancock Australian special, they shot it with a basically it had a video camera linked to a film recorder. So it was shot on film, but it would sync and stop and start depending on what camera you switched to. So it was some kind of way of saving the quantity of film but doing it in the same sort of manner but where you're not shooting everything and using five cameras simultaneously for a long period and and wasting all that film stock so interesting though i didn't realize that he did it in such a complicated way you'd have thought yeah they'd have shot it like a multi-camera show but that's they still did it in the stage way that sort of stagey way of doing um variety and music hall in, uh, in March, it was the 102nd anniversary of the uh, birth of Peggy Ann Clifford, who we re- referred to uh, a number of times as one yeah. of the uh, Hancock regulars. And uh, on the back of one of the tweets about uh, the anniversary, there was a tweet from a guy called Rob Keeley, who mentioned that uh, when she wasn't doing acting and things, she actually kept a grocer's shop. Uh, between acting engagements. So, uh, oh, really? I found it quite incredible. I sort of mentioned before that a lot of these people, like Laurie and that, and, and Peggy Ann Clifford and that, they, they would have done stage shows. Um, mm. They would have done a bit of telly and whatever. And obviously, actors have periods of resting, as we all know. So, yeah, so uh, she kept a grocery shop in as, as well. It seems incredible. And for listeners who don't recognise the name, Peggy Ann Clifford is the large, slightly rotund lady in uh, The Missing Page and The Blood Donor and many, many other shows. Mm. Um, she was often cast. I mean, she's in The uh, the Air Steward as well, isn't she, on the plane mm. as the um, as the cabin crew? And uh, she was she was quite a busy actress. I mean, she was in quite a few films with um, Thingamabob. Uh, Thingamy Bob's oh, name Oh, Thingamy Bob. Oh, right, yeah. yeah you know, uh, Thingamy uh, Bob. Uh, yeah, yeah, he, yeah, was in, yeah. he was in lots of films. Yeah, yeah he was yeah. in loads of yeah. films. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you who was in it with him. What's his name? He was there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've got to look it up because I've just had a mind fart. <laughs> Brain fart. Because <laughs> he's, like, really famous. And he only died a few years ago. da 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 Oh, Mr. Grimsdale, you know him. Norman Wisdom. Norman Wisdom. Wisdom. Norman Wisdom. She was in quite a few films, but Norman Wisdom was Peggy Ann Clifford. And she was also in a, a remake of a sort of The Bequest, a Hancock episode in um, with Les Dawson in Dawson's Weekly. And she was one of the beneficiaries of the will in that. So she was uh, sort of tangentially involved in all these sort of big comedy shows, but she was just a small bit player. But yeah. It's, it's fast. I suppose, you know, as any actor might might do, you know, I've known actors, a few, uh, who do bits of gardening or painting and decorating and things like that, you know, in their, in their spare time between 
you know engagements to pay for the beer and the upkeep and all of that so it sort of makes sense doesn't it oh yes i mean as you say backup plan yeah no actor's going to be full-time mm. unless they're extremely lucky well i, I had an interesting message as well uh, actually tim i had a, an email from uh, or a a Facebook messenger from young Andrew Peel, who's one of our listeners. And he uh, mentioned a couple of things of interest that we discussed recently, one of which was um, Ballylika. And uh, he was digging uh, around about whether there was a TV programme called Ballylika. He found there was a Jack Hilton presented the, the operetta on ITV in 1957. That's possibly where he's referring to Ballylika from, although that obviously wouldn't have been a BBC show. I've got to go and buy a new suit in the morning. I can't go to the BBC like this. They see me dressed like this. They left me in balalaika before I can look round. <laughs> it's not my fault. Of course it's your fault. If you hadn't got mixed up with those two Yugoslavian wine treaders, this would never have happened. And of course, as well, the uh, he mentioned in relation to the Punch and Judy Man that it sort of occurs to him that it's quite similar in some ways to the Ken Russell film French Dressing have a sort of similar feel so he sees them as almost companion pieces so uh Kent's is uh, from 1964 and set in a british seaside resort following a deck chair attendant uh also filmed in black and white both released by associated british and both box office disappointments at the time of release so they've sort of morphed into each other in his uh consciousness but i'll have to mm. look that ken russell film up because it's not one that i'm familiar with no I'm yeah not, i've not ever no. seen that yeah. no that's one one definitely worth a look so have you had any tweets and emails this week, James? I've had lots of tweets. Uh, more people were saying how much they've enjoyed the recent podcast. There's also been a fair bit of traction after we appeared on the Goon Pod, uh, mm. which at the time of recording was released a, a few weeks ago. Um, and we've had lots of new listeners and lots of new followers. People enjoying it very much, yeah. Ah, that's great. That's yeah. the main theme, yeah. They enjoy what we do and we keep on doing it. That's the thing. Exactly, yeah. Well, I also had uh, from our, my regular correspondent, Mark McGuigan, uh, who often emails us with little quips about our podcast and how I enjoyed it. He um, mentioned that in Revenge of the Pink Panther, you had Alec Bragonzi as well as Michael Ward who've, of the um, Economy Drive fame, the Faye gentleman who leaves him with his mints and pieces, he's going to be rather sick. And both of them appear in that film. Alec Bragonzi is very clearly dubbed from the clip I saw as an Italian sort of mafioso type character. Um, but that was quite, quite enjoyable seeing sort of those alongside the vicar from Dad's Army all in little bit parts in, in that Pink Panther movie. Uh, and he also sent me a copy of, um, Romance of the Pink Panther, which is a script co-written by Sellers that was not made because Peter Sellers died. So that's a interesting one that I shall have to have a read of at some point in the near future. Oh, that does sound interesting. Mm -hmm. They did make a um, a film after he had died, which was a film using, I'm going to say, off-cuts. Outtakes. Of the, outtakes, mm. pieces of previous films that didn't get used. Um, they were perfectly good, but they yeah. didn't get used in the story. And then they, they, they used those to morph it into, a, into another coherent film. Meaning to be a bit of a tribute, but it kind of comes across the opposite, doesn't it? Unfortunately, yeah, it's not some. It's, it, it didn't work out as well as I think they intended. Mm. So then, it's time for our main subject, Hancock's car. So, what did you think of this one, guys? Well, I suppose I ought to open as I. You've obviously said this is my my favourite my favourite of the episodes, and I think it's my favourite. Partly because it's the episode that introduced me to, to Tony. So uh, back in 
December 1974, the BBC decided to repeat six episodes, which was this episode, Serrano de Hancock, Christmas Club Handout, The Emigrant, Almost a Gentleman and The Insurance Policy. And this was the first one, my dad, proud possessor of a new radio cassette recorder um, with his little boots, yellow and red C60 cassettes. I just had a vision of your dad in yellow boots for a moment, just a sort of a copy of dressing up. Have you seen? Have you seen pictures of him when he was younger? Ba boom, and and yeah, so he and he recorded these. Well, he, he recorded them and said, "Oh, do you want to have a listen?" And I thought, radio, nah. You know, I was twelve. Well, just about twelve, or maybe just going into thirteen, and um, I was hooked. The Hancock's car was the one, and I thought that was so different from anything else I'd ever heard or seen. And you think back to early 1970s comedy, much of which probably won't ever see the light of day actually on the television again, uh, because it's now politically incorrect. So it seemed very, very different from the the comedy of the the early 70s. And I can see Tim's reaction to that. (laughs) Things like Love Thy Neighbour, for example. Curry and chips. Or curry and chips, which was very much the order the order of the day. Curry and chips you certainly won't see again. But I think because they, they showed some uh, to us Park recently, didn't they? And they've been showing some Benny Hill shows. And a lot of these programmes that people say, oh, you, 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 know, you see people on Twitter saying, oh, you, you'll never get Benny Hill back on telly. I said, well, actually, he's on tonight at 8 o'clock. Yeah, just not on BBC One. You won't necessarily get it there. But, no, that's right. Yeah. But I, I think it's... People think that there's some sort of rule that they can't show these things. It's, it, there's no rule as such. It's 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 about audience taste and what audiences want. And I think a lot of people mm. just don't want to watch that sort of thing. Quite rightly, yeah. I think, you know, but... Uh, yeah. yeah, I think, you know, a lot of the time if they're on Talking Pictures TV, they have a little um, thing at the beginning saying this may contain attitudes to race or gender mm. that are not, not concurrent with modern times, but... Mm. You know, they do that to cover themselves so that people yeah. don't say, oh, well, you're yeah. showing something you shouldn't be. Yeah, what, what are you showing this for? Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. and I think uh, there's there's always going to be an, a nostalgia element that mm. brings people into these things, mm. you know, even if some of the language you kind of wince at slightly when you listen to it, that doesn't spoil the rest of the programme that's otherwise, you know, a, mm. a wonderful cast, wonderful writers, things like that. Mm. So Yeah, no, absolutely. You're absolutely right, Martin, that you would have heard Hancock's half hour as something quite different that was going on elsewhere. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I listened to it on the radio. Of course, 1974, the only edition of this that survived was the shortest of the transcription services remakes, or not remakes, you know, edits, running to about 26 minutes. Goodness. Well, if you look at Wilma, 26 minutes and 20 seconds, Mm. um, to be precise. And now we've got the, the latest CD set has got all of the surviving edits put back yeah. in, um, which brings it into just a fraction under 31 minutes. Yeah, 30 minutes, 45 seconds or something like something that. Something like it? that. So there's there's just over four minutes of extra material now in this episode from yeah. when I first heard it back in 1974. And because I listened to it so many times, I pick up all of them every yeah. time I listen to it, because I think, oh, yeah, that, that's new. That's a new bit that wasn't there originally. So ingrained. Because it's so yeah. ingrained. That's right, yeah. Yeah, because there's quite a few lines in, in this one. I think there's a, a, I think some of the lines that have been put back in include the uh, the extra line about the milkman's horse having a go at his horrible chickens. 
and he's looking forward to him being electrified and the little handle, uh, having the little handle at the front. Yeah, all of that kind of stuff. For, for the electric milk float coming in, yep. It's the milkman. His horse has been at him. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes, he has the cart up on the pavement getting at those. I should be glad when he gets electrified and has a cart with a handle to pull round. Be that as it may, your property only extends up to the hedge. Um, there's, I think, a bit about... Uh... You know, why, why couldn't Hattie forget she worked in a British restaurant, you know, bringing up all this cauliflower cheese and plum pudding or whatever it might be? Why don't you get back in the kitchen and mind your own business? What is for dinner? You don't like stuffed marrow, do you? No, I do not. Oh, that's what we're having, then. Stuffed marrow, stuffed cabbage and cauliflower cheese. Can't you forget you used to work in a British restaurant? The funny thing is, I think we've said a few times, and I've said a few times mm -hmm. in these podcasts, that I... I've got the CD set that come out first of all. So it's not the latest CD set, mm. but it was, I think um, I started buying them. Well, actually, it was my wife bought them for me back in, uh, in the noughties, or 2004, 2005. So yeah, 20 years ago now. Yeah. But they, they have some of these lines in. I'm not sure whether, mm. well, they've certainly got the. Uh, uh, what was the one you mentioned just then? The, the line you, you mentioned that was put the, back in the, the Milkman's Horse. Oh yes, that's, sorry. And 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 the the British restaurant. The British restaurant is definitely in the version I've got, as is the reference to the uh, Birmingham to London Road when when uh, Hancock's up in court. So that's in my version yeah. too. Yes. Um, obviously, when you listen on BBC Sounds, they still play the the edited version, and you, you don't yeah. hear that. So perhaps this was a version. Perhaps this version was on the earlier CD set. Yeah, well, then, but it, it, it yeah. might it might be that this latest version has got even more in than are not on mine. There's certainly one bit where you can one small bit where you can definitely hear that it's a an off air recording that's been added in. But yeah, it, but there's yeah. only one small bit where you can. But the rest of the mm. what I would say the the add ons from when I first heard it you don't notice. But there's one little bit. But going back to the British restaurant, I love mm. the reference to Potato Pete. Yes, yeah, Potato Pete. She's half-cooked some rubbish. All her wartime recipes here. <laughs> Potato Pete stuck up in the kitchen there. Not good enough for a gourmet like me, a man of my taste. The war's over, dear. There's other food about now. I've got a very delicate palate. Nothing but the finest. Subtle, exotic, fleeting savouries. That's what I want. Why can't we have egg and chips and a bottle of chopsticks? <laughs> I put a picture of him on Twitter. <laughs> oh, did you? Yeah. Mm. Um, but I, I did. I did some digging and found a couple of songs from 1941, 42. One mm. was uh, Betty Driver and one was Billy Cotton singing all about Potato Pete. Potato Pete, Potato Pete, see him coming down the street, shouting his good things to eat. Get your hot potatoes from Potato Pete now. For listeners who, who weren't aware, it's part of the Digging for Victory campaign mm. to try and encourage British families to grow their own veg and effectively use the veg for their food rather than trying to um, obtain really difficult to find meat. Big or small, short or tall, Potato Pete has got them all. 
I think this is a terrific episode and I think it's another one. I think we've said this time and again on the podcast that they're not necessarily your favourite episode, but when you look at it critically for when we're reviewing for a podcast, you think, well, actually, this is pretty good. And um, it it is a marvellous... I mean, I love the opening scene. There's about four minutes when they're sort of cleaning the car and all the banter and the discussion. I mean, it's typical Gilt and Simpson. It's comedy out of nothing in that they're, they're just talking about cleaning a car. I mean, something as, as, what's the word? But Mundane? Mun, something as mundane as that, mm-hmm. of as cleaning the car. And, and they get four minutes out of it, you know. And, mm-hmm. and, and it seems to me that you've got several sort of scenes like this. And although you've got the common story, you know, each of these little scenes could stand up as a sketch on its own, couldn't it? You know, the, the, the bit at the beginning with cleaning the car, the, the, yeah. the bit, in, bit in the court and, and, and all that sort of thing. Where shall we start? There's three of us. It shouldn't take long. You've got a nerve. Inviting me round for a drink and then roping me in to help clean your car. Well, it takes Bill and I too long. Six arms are better than four. <laughs> well, don't you think you're overdoing a tub? A car only needs polishing once a week, not every day. We live in a smoky atmosphere. Look at it. It's a thin layer of smog all over it. Well, some of these sketches, they must have been used on some of the compilation discs of Hancock over the years, because you can just imagine that. I'm sure, I'm sure mm. a bit of Hancock's car was in Unique Hancock. Is that your car outside, I think, is one of the tracks, isn't it? That's right, I think so. But I don't remember it on on, on any other, mm. uh, you know, full album of Hancock. Mm. Um, I, there probably was some on the sort of the, the, the BBC did quite a lot of, I'm going to say, free audio CDs that gave away at Little Chef restaurants mm. and that sort of things mm. way, way back. Daily Mail, free Daily Mail stuff. Like that. That, yeah, yeah. There may have been something on one of those, but... Um, yeah, I, I think Unique Hancock was the, the main... I'm sure there was something on that one. The, the detail... Um, that, sorry. I was just going to say... The, on, de- <laughs> the detail <laughs> that Gordon and Simpson go into in these scripts, you know, when, yeah. when, they, you know, when they talk about um, Sid hasn't cleaned his car for three years, it's only so that uh, witnesses won't be able to say what colour it was. I know, that's a great line. I love that. It's a beautiful bit of detail, isn't it? You know, when you're talking... About- yeah. But but then the follow up you've got to feel along the feel along the door to find out where well, the handle, handle is. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's just brilliant yeah. detail. Yeah. I want the chrome and the paintwork shining so that you can see your face in it. I've never known anyone so finicky about their car as you are. I haven't cleaned my car for 3 years. That is only so that any witnesses won't be able to tell what color it was. <laughs> it's a disgrace your car is. You have to feel along the door to find where the handle is. <laughs> I'm not letting mine get in a state like that. I love that. I love that line. That's one I repeat in reference to my car constantly because it sort of <laughs> describes my car to some extent. But I, I, again, if you look at the script, even though what I am sure we've got now at nearly 31 minutes must be mm. the full episode. Yeah, pretty um, much. There's still quite a lot in the script that has been cut. Yeah. And yeah. you can hear a few noticeable edits in it. I think there's one that I noticed. I can't quite remember where, but where like the line comes in quite quickly and you know, oh that sounds like there would have been a, a cut there slightly mm. it's possible but the one one of the early ones i like about the car is um hancock says oh, i want it looking just like it did when it came out of the showroom sydney says it will look better because when it was in the showroom it had a salesman's fingerprint on it <laughs> um, and then and then tony goes off to allocate the uh, allocate jobs 
He says, are you taking the mickey just because I make you wear white gloves when you're cleaning it? There's no need to be sarcastic. Now, first off, think we'll polish the paintwork. I'll sprinkle it on, siddle rub it in and Bill can shine it up one square foot at a time and keep turning the cloth, William. Sid says, you picked the easy job, haven't you, sprinkling it on? Tony says, well, I've got to supervise operations. I'm the dust spotter. I'm the one who crouches down with one eye closed, making sure you don't miss anything. I mean, it's a great picture. Mm. It is, isn't it? But the, the whole picture drawn by that car cleaning sketch or scene at the beginning, you know, there's the wonderful line of like, you know, what you want me to polish under the car? Yes, you know, when it goes to the garage on the ramp and they look underneath it, I go, oh, isn't it dirty? I don't want him saying that. Right, Bill, you get under the car and polish it, Sid. You can do, you take the chamois, you, you've hey, gone home. Just, oh, just a minute. Oh. Just, just a minute. Did, did you say under the car? Yes, I did. <laughs> I want the springs and all the stuff underneath polished right up. I want it shining. Go on, crawl under there, you ratbag. But, but, Tub, what's the point? Nobody sees under the car. They do at the garage when it goes up on the ramp. <laughs> I don't want them to look underneath my car and say, ooh, isn't it dirty? <laughs> it's that whole pompousness has encompassed so much of the little man who's quite poor and, you know, obviously needs the car for the work that he definitely isn't getting. But he's so pompous, and it's it's the same when he corrects. Put it in a garage. I do not have a garage. Garage. Yeah, it just shows that kind of attitude. It's very much the Captain Mannering that came along later, of course, type persona that is Tony's. I do love the line about taking out the inner tubes, give them a clean, and then put some fresh air in them. I think yeah. that's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, yeah, that's my favourite picture. Yeah. In reply to Bill's clearly sarcastic line. Then you can lift the bonnet up and polish the engine. Shall I take the tyres off and wash the inner tubes? Yes, you can do that afterwards. <laughs> then you can let the air out and put some fresh in. <laughs> yeah, just completely oblivious, isn't he? Uh, and I think when you just read the script mm. and then you listen to the episode and you see all of the all of the cast and all the intonation that they put in and the different speeds of delivery and all the rest it it i mean they're just it's just a masterclass i think in acting and delivery um there's some of the words you read on the page and you think well that's not very funny until you actually hear it and how they've mm. delivered it they knew how to write for his delivery didn't they by that point they've been working for the best part of what seven or eight years by then uh, as, a, as a team i've been listening to a lot of um a podcast called the comedians comedian podcast and there's a uh, the host on there Stuart goldsmith who's a comedian and he interviews other other comedians and i found it quite mm. interesting that he said that all of these comedians he interviewed quite famous and it goes back sort of 10 years these comedians say they they have to find their craft they have to find their character when they're on stage and he's very yeah. it's, it's very similar to to this really i think this is the sort of episode that they just couldn't have written in series one. I mean, I don't know exactly what series this is. What series is it? Is it series, series, five, series five. five? Series five. It's the golden series. Oh, yeah. it is. This sort of series. Yeah, the last series of Exactly. He's got no no chance where they get four minutes out of, you know, talking about his car and cleaning the car at the start of it in series one, I think. Oh, it wouldn't be the same. No, the whole thing developed over the years, didn't it? Oh, definitely. And it's it's like it's like that, just that golden series isn't it? series five there's just so many great episodes back yep. to back wall to wall and i think this this is really sort of two three four years of really hard work and honing that craft and honing that character by 
Galton and Simpson and Hancock himself. Yeah, and brings you the brilliant fifth series. Mm, absolutely. And although although bizarre and surreal in some ways in terms of picking you know Bill up by the collar and lifting him with the crane, yeah. it's that sort of realism that we mentioned, like in the Punch and Judy Man. You know, it's it's almost kitchen sink drama, rather, or standing in the road cleaning the car type of drama where you're you're it's inconsequential and they're just waffling about this, that and the other, but it's wonderfully observed. And, and it's, used, it's used in an observation. I mean, if you like, take the train, for example, the train comes by and he's mm. accusing the, uh, the driver and, and the fireman or whatever of, of chucking lumps of uh, coal up at him. I think, I mean, as, as I understand it, back in the day with steam trains and that, when it was, you often got these bits of black soot, coal, anthracite, whatever, was like in, in, in the smoke yeah. that come out from the top of the engine, and that used to land on people's cars, whatever. Um, so that would have been a bit of an annoyance mm. if you happened to drive near or live near a railway track. And so, you know, they pick on yeah. something fairly, again, something fairly mundane like that, which was par for the course for steam trains. And then, you know, Hancock has to make a big issue of, of it and suggest that, the, you know, the train driver deliberately aiming at his car when he comes by, you know which is, again, it's fantastic yeah. writing, and it shows fantastic imagination on their part. Of course, it turns out to be true. They were aiming at these cars. There's a lump gone through the roof. <laughs> yeah. Wealth anthracite bouncing off the bonnet doesn't do it any good. Those drivers, they see me cleaning the car, and they deliberately slow down, wait till the wind's in the right direction, then whoosh, a funnel full of dirty black smoke comes hurtling over. <laughs> And more than once, I've had occasion to complain to British Railways about them heaving lumps of coal at it. <laughs> I think they must be running a sweep down at the shunting yards. Let's see how many times we can hit Hancock's car. <laughs> it's no joke. It's kept you in fires since you bought it. That is not the point. A great lump of Welsh anthracite bouncing off it doesn't do the bonnet any good. But there's some lovely lines and jokes in there, is particularly the one that I... I... I don't think I'd paid much attention to before. He says, oh, I'll kill that next door's cat. Look what oh, he's done. Yeah. Look what he's done. Yeah, yeah. And there's a, a pause and the laughter is like, you know, poor prince all up the bonnet. But you, you think, of course, that the cat has done his business on the on the bonnet or something, and that's that what the audience are thinking. But it just leaves it long enough to that for that to linger in your mind. The way he holds that pause there is because ev everyone... Everyone knows exactly what he means before he says anything, yeah. you know, and um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you, you get a laugh on the line, and then there's a pause, and then there's another laugh. Before I like the way you say this. pause. P-A-W-S or P-A-U-S-E. Oh, yeah, there's four of them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and then he delivers the pause line on the bonnet. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because the punchline yeah. isn't what you expect, so there's yeah. a little extra laugh at that as well. Yeah. After Oh, it's just beautifully done. Beautifully done. I'll kill that next door's cat. Now what's wrong? Look what he's done. Look what he's done. <laughs> Honourable great paw marks over the bonnet. <laughs> Up the window, cross the roof and down the boot. And get my boot if I catch him again. Great ugly thing he is. I think um, Kenneth Williams is a judge as well. He's my mm. favourite character uh, oh. when he plays a judge. I love that sort of sort of throat. Is it like a throaty or 
how would you it's describe? a Douglas Wilmer impression, isn't it, or something like that? No, it's not Douglas Wilmer. It's um. But you know better than me, John. He's doing an impression of someone. Sort of aristocratic. He does a judge in a number of episodes, doesn't he? He does, and I yeah. love mm. every time he plays mm. it. I just love mm. it. Mm. He's just brilliant, and then I love the way at the end of the after Hancock's been fined his well. He's gone on to the three pounds after he's gone from being fine um, 40 shillings, yeah. 45 shillings. <laughs> I mean, I love that line where he's, he says, are you going to allow me to go on to the next? Sorry, I was going to say that's a reference to a TV quiz, Double Your Money, when he says, are you going to go oh, on? Oh, is to it? The... Yeah, because uh, they used to ask the contestants because the, the contestant, mm. you'd ask him a question for a pound or whatever, the next question was two and it would double. And they could either take the money or go on. And they say, do you want to take the money or do you want to go on for the £8? Do you want to go on for the £16? Ah, and that's what okay. that's a reference to, yeah. Grand 40 shillings next. Let me laugh! Grand <laughs> 45 shillings next. I object, Your Honour. 50 shillings next. This is a travesty of justice. 55 shillings. Will you allow me to get on with the next case or will you go on for the three pounds? <laughs> That's, that's interesting because I, I hadn't picked up on that at all. That was Huey Green, double your money. Huey Green. Huey Green, mm. who also appeared with Hank. They went on tour together in Aden, didn't they? Do you remember we had some pictures in, right. in our that's book right. about that? That was late 60s, wasn't it? Yeah. Was I, that 67? Yes, it was around about that time, 66, yeah. 66, 67, yeah. Some, somewhere around about then. Notice how I sneaked a plug in for our book then, Martin. Did you notice that? I slipped it in. That was yeah. very good. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 What was the book called again, Tim? I think it's called Tony Hancock Inside His Life and Words and Pictures. Is it available from Lulu, John? I think it might be available from lulu.com. <laughs> www.lulu.co.uk? Yes, well worth a look. Anyway, if we're going to start, if we're going to start advertising, I've got a lovely <laughs> car for sale. I'm looking in on this at least. Yeah, but is it clean or has it got paw marks all over it? Yeah, it's got paw marks all over it. Coal marks on the bonnet. Yeah. <laughs> Now, where were we with this judge? Oh, yes, that's right. I love the ending where, he, mm. where he's got the, the three um, other cases other than Hancock's case. They're, they're mm. looking for the London, to propose London, Birmingham to London Roadway, which was, a, which was brilliant. Yeah. And I think that was a reference to the M1 um, that was opened in late 1959. Next case, Constable, please. John Dillinger driving across Ploughed Field looking for proposed London Birmingham Roadway. <laughs> So that's the, that was the London to Birmingham Railway. But then I love the fact at the end that the judge has got to judge himself because he's parked in a restricted area. Yeah, yeah. And, and I love um, Kenneth's comments, some of which aren't scripted, as to um, how much he's going to find himself and whether he's going to endorse his licence. And, and then he finishes off by saying, oh, this is, does he say it's ridiculous or ludicrous or something mm. like that? Um, and that last little bit's a bit of an ad lib at the end. I just, it's, I love the end of that scene. But as you say, James, um, Kenneth as a judge is just brilliant. Yeah, it's masterful. Judge Percy Francis. That's me. Uh, yes, sir, your car is parked outside in a restricted area. Oh, I see. Well, now, fine, 50, uh, 10 shillings. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> licensing, I mean, don't do it again. A quarter turn, that's ridiculous. <laughs> there's, there's another episode where he's a judge where he, he gets accused of something. You know, you're saying at the end there, he gets accused of parking or whatever. And I think it's in the Scandal magazine at the end, yeah. where Hancock oh, says, yeah. you, you had that redhead in the car. And he says, no, no, I didn't. I can't afford a Bentley yeah. like you. And he sort of coughs and laughs, and he... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the same sort of twist at the end, that, that the judge is getting uh, penalised as well. 
Oh yes, I'd forgotten that one. Mm. So my other favorite, my other favorite sequence is the cauliflower cheese sequence. Yes, that's that's a good one. That's a sketch on its own, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. Mm. It is. Um, and and the fact that she's made this dirty great bin full of cauliflower cheese, um, which nobody likes, and then suggests where he has bread and dripping, which Hancock of course says uh, it's not right for me, you know, to have roast bread and dripping. And it's interesting because he says, close the curtains. It's not right for a man of my calibre to be seen eating bread and dripping. But the script actually says a man of my class, but calibre feels... Oh, right, fitting, right. It? So, yeah. The pompousness. Yeah. Yeah. So they changed that, but it's not it's not crossed out in the script. But, of course, the best bit is after the policeman's gone and he looks round and says, well, where's, where's my cauliflower cheese? It's her. She's woofed it. She's like grease lightning. <laughs> they imagine me. Now, let's finish my dinner. I bet he thought... Where's my cauliflower cheese gone? <laughs> Who has had my cauliflower? It's her. She's woofed it. She's like greased lightning. <laughs> I only took my eyes off it for 30 seconds. I bet it never touched the sides on its way down. <laughs> Stone me. No wonder the dustman don't bother to call here. Just a fantastic picture. Yeah. And the delivery of those lines is just perfection. And then, of course, there's a, a reference in there, a bit of a topical reference to, uh, you know, I bet, she, I bet she's buried it somewhere or something. She hides it, you know. I bet she's like that Armand and Michaela Dennis, who were That's wildlife right. documentary makers in the 50s. So the equivalent modern joke would be, you know, a bit like that David Attenborough. Yeah, I suppose, yeah, but, yeah. Um, yeah. It was called On Safari, wasn't it? Or it was, they, were on, they had sort of safari programmes Going around Africa looking at the animals. Right, turn it up, Grizzly. You must have something else in there. No, there's no more. She's hidden it all. She buries it somewhere. She's like something out of Armand and Michaela Dennis. <laughs> she drags it all off to her lair and stands guard over it. The car looks nice. Don't change the subject. I just looked it up. I think they did. Filming in Africa was 1955. Uh, there was one called Armand and Michaela Dennis, also 55 to 58, and on safari was 57 to 59 mm. but the other hancock link with that is if you look at the tony hancock show from 1956 there is a sketch which is a spoof of an armand and michaela dennis ah right program okay. mm. um it is the most dated of all the sketches in the 1956 show um but uh, but it is there and that's uh, that was another another link between um hancock's um uh, eric sykes written program and um and this one there's some good this i mean the other one of course that i uh i had to look up when years ago when i was younger was of course the description of the car is uh orange and heliotrope which is a, yeah. a sort of a pinky purple uh and you know the tartan hood and the pink wall tires as opposed oh. to white wall tires i mean oh. what a ghastly neon mess this car must have looked but mm. <laughs> i kind of want it Look at it gleaming there. Yeah. Well, I still don't like the colour scheme, and I never have. Don't like the colour scheme? Orange and heliotrope? <laughs> very vogue that is. I think it's the tartan hood that spoils it. Because <laughs> you've got no taste, have you? You've got to have something bright for the hood to balance up with the pink wall tyres. Yeah, all you want is a couple of plants in there. And it'll look like a travelling coffee bar. I mean, heliotrope is actually a plant of that colour, so you call the, the colour yeah. after the plant. 
But uh, yeah. I think if you look up in Wikipedia for heliotrope colour, one of the things it says is um, heliotrope was a popular colour reference of Galton Simpson, writers of Hancock's Half Hour. So, the f- oh, okay. so, yeah, so someone's actually stuck it on Wikipedia because, it, it, again, that's another thing that comes up two or three times in the radio series, doesn't it? Heliotrope. It's probably in the yeah. Rebel somewhere as well, yeah. I expect. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's an interesting one. I hadn't, because it it's not a colour that readily comes to mind, is no, it? No, no. Um, uh, but yes, what, what a, a ghastly sounding colour scheme. I just remember where else I. Isn't it the. Uh, the school blazer in the old school reunion, isn't that heliotrope? Puce and heliotrope? Isn't that something? I think it might be puce and heliotrope. Yeah, I had yeah, that in my be. mind, yeah. but it's not yeah. puce in this episode. Yeah. It's the other wonderful role that Ken plays is the copper, very much channeling his father there. But I love that sort of character he plays of the sort of, you assume, older copper, going, you know, is that your car outside? Well, move it. You know, it's eight inches below the rest of the road. It's been resurfaced that many times since the war. That car must be moved. But it's doing no harm. It's only standing there. It is doing harm. This road has been resurfaced eight times since the war. All except the bit your car is standing on. (laughs) I measured it just now. It's eight inches lower than the rest of the road. <laughs> Resurfaced eight times in 13 years. In 13 years. You don't get that these days. I was going to say, I wish they did that. Exactly <laughs> my word. There's a, there's a sinkhole in my road. They resurfaced that today because the road was gradually disappearing a little bit. About a square metre. Um, yeah, that's not Yeah, that's not so good. And, of course, um, <laughs> he's taken his driving test 73 times. 73s because <laughs> his feet are too big yeah and he puts his foot on the brake half of it goes on the accelerator and we're, we're off, off again, again. <laughs> <laughs> that's a brilliant line based on his real life wasn't it he um the reason he didn't drive was because he thought his feet were too big and they flapped like a penguins so that's yeah. why although he did pass his driving test he basically stopped driving and, and left it all to his wife Cicely used to drive him everywhere right I think his feet were in obsession. He used to hide his shoes so that you could delay going on stage because he was that full of stage fright <laughs> and things like that. Yeah. And his agent would have to turn up with a pair of spare shoes yes, and things yeah, like that. Yeah. And, you know, it's referenced in a lot of episodes. So I think it's a personal trait they wrote into the character. Mm. You know, he's always talking about his bunions and, you know, you can't get your feet on in the winter if your X, Y, Z shoes on. But that car hasn't been moved for ten years. <laughs> ten years? Do you mean to tell me you've had to clean in that car every day and you never use it? Well, I... I get in the driving seat sometimes and I... turn the wheel and a bit of... Vroom, 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 and pretend, and that. <laughs> but if you mean actually moving, no. Why not? Because I can't pass the test. I've been up 73 times and they keep failing me. <laughs> I just can't get the hang of it. My feet are too big, that's the trouble. They overlap. I put my foot on the brake, half of it goes on the accelerator as well and we're off again. Your feet are no concern of mine. He was obsessed with them, yeah, yeah. And I'm... of course he had that condition, didn't he? Flatter's fetus. Yep, flatter's fetus. In Hancock in the police. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I feel his pain now, actually. I've got a bit of a, a flat foot, and I've had mm. quite a few car accidents, which I will blame on the feet. Really? Blame it on the feet. Do, yeah. they, do they flap like a penguin's? 
Well, my mum calls it the Griffith foot. She thinks <laughs> it's a condition. Foot. Yeah. <laughs> and then my kids now go, oh, my daughter, she's 16, she goes, oh, I've got the Griffith foot, so it's difficult to find shoes I like. <laughs> oh, so that's what it is. Yeah. Of course, you have the the lovely thing as well when the copper shows up of Sid choking on his cauliflower cheese, yeah. which is uh, yeah, there's a similar yeah. one in another episode, isn't there? Well, where, he swallows the know, key. Sid, Sid, it's the police. Mm. Where where are you? I just climbed into the wardrobe to hang up ties in the Christmas Club. <laughs> that was yeah, the Christmas says, yeah. Club one, wasn't it? Mm. Yes. Mm. Yeah, he says, "Oh, they're, they're, I know they're not after me. I haven't done anything for weeks. <laughs> weeks." Just weeks, that's just, right. Just weeks, just weeks. And this, this is a really geeky point. We often talk about Hancock and holding the pauses. Being an exponent of, of perfect timing, it's, it's not just holding the pauses, it's knowing when to come in quick as well. And when, when mm. the policeman says, move it, and Hancock comes back and says, pardon, and he's, there is no pause, it's virtually continuous, and it's, again, it's, it's a perfect mm. bit of timing. Um, but it, it's it's the opposite of what normally happens when he holds a pause. You know, he just jumps straight in. And that, that's a really geeky point, but it's something that always jumps out at me when I listen to it. Yeah, because your automatic reaction, right, pardon? Mm. You know, mm-hmm. just coming in quite quickly. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. It's, it's all about getting that rhythm right, isn't it? What can I do for you? Is that your car parked outside? Yes, that's right. Magnificent vehicle, isn't she? Everybody round here admires her. Wonderful condition she's in. Move it. Pardon? <laughs> and the other, the, other, the other line, which is about this time in the programme, which we absolutely mm. have to mention, is, of course, the horrible chickens. And they're not chickens. Horrible chickens. They're not chickens mush their birds paradise. paradise. That's just wonderful, yeah. isn't yeah. it? Absolutely wonderful. <laughs> Your property only extends as far as those horrible chickens cut out in your hedge. <laughs> horrible chickens? They are not chickens, Mush. They are birds of paradise. It's a beautiful line, and uh, and it just shows that he's he's just his pompousness again. But then yeah. a line later in the episode where he goes. Well, I've knocked down my chickens, uh, me, me birds of paradise. Yeah, yeah. You know, he, go, he, he knows they're full well, they look like chickens. The thing that makes that <laughs> line funny, it's a bit like the very nearly an armful, the very makes it funny. And Gordon and Simpson were very, mm. you know, clever about that. But the thing that makes this line funny, in my view, is the word mush. They're not chickens, mush. They are birds of paradise. You take out the mush, <laughs> it isn't funny. If you just said they are, they're not chickens, they're birds of paradise, people wouldn't laugh. It's that mush that does it. And again, it's just, it's just brilliant writing. It's brilliantly, brilliantly done. Right, you mm. could probably still get a laugh if you emphasise the not, but I think mm. the mush and the attitude, you come in, the bullshit attitude you come back with mm. does definitely enhance it from a six to an eight in that laugh, for example, in that line. Yeah, yeah definitely. And I think the social standing bit is is very important in this episode as you say mm. the pomposity and all that side but again going back to the script there's a couple of bits that were missed um or were cut before recording that that highlight it even more so after kenneth has said the um the car is or the road is eight inches lower than the rest of the road bill says tubby might as well get rid of the car if you don't drive it to which tony says i'm not selling my car i have certain appearances to keep up a car these days is a sign of wealth if the neighbours see I've had to get rid of it, they'll think I'm not doing very well. They'll think I can't afford to run it. 
That's interesting, isn't it? Even yeah. though he can't. Yeah. yeah. Even, even though, it, and Bill says, well, you can't. <laughs> and Tony says, I know, I know it. And Tony says, I know it only does 50 miles to the gallon. Drinks it up, it does. But if I get rid of it, coupled with the fact that we haven't got a television aerial, I'll be right down the social panel. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, it was before yeah. they put that wooden one up and painted it silver. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, mem- I, remember when, I remember when I was a kid um, and one of our neighbours got a car and uh, my mum and dad, I mean, I mean, obviously they were hugely jealous, mm. but it was just, um, you know, the first thing they said was, well, he hasn't paid for it. It's a company car. I always remember them saying that. It probably wasn't. <laughs> but, uh, mm. yeah, it was. It certainly used to be a huge social thing. I mean, I, I guess it is to some extent well, now. If you, It's the type of car, you know, if you've got the, uh, you know, if you're a social climber, you've got to have an Audi or a... Merkel, something, haven't you? Or BMW. You are, that's right. Mm. Yeah, people showing off with their flash cars as opposed mm. to us brilliant people with our tiny, rusty little ones. <laughs> <laughs> Just one more to mention then on the social standing. After the court case, Tony says, I'm not moving it. Sid says, why don't you build a garage for it? Oh, Tony yeah. says, no, if it's in a garage, the neighbours won't be able to see it. They won't know if I've got a car or not. Sid says, well, you could have glass doors put on it or a notice. Beware, a dirty great car liable to flash out <laughs> at any minute. It's, it's just brilliant, isn't it? That's a good one, isn't it? I have not got a garage. I have not got a garage <laughs> in which to put it. It's got to be moved. It cannot be moved. I have got nowhere to put it. Put it in a garage. I have not got a garage. <laughs> And that's interesting because having looked at the script, that he the garage is misspelled for Kenneth to say put it in a garage. Oh, I D G E, yeah, yeah, yeah. I D G E to emphasise how he wanted, how Ray and Alan right. wanted them to say it. Right. Yeah. Make it clear. Yeah. But, I mean, there's some the the other line in this as well that, that I'd noticed that was sort of a bit of a, a topical reference is you know when they go to court. And you've got Alan Simpson in one of his little roles, one of his little bit pieces in a, a Series 5 episode, so he carried on doing them. As next, John Dillinger wanted for driving through a ploughed field, uh, which is a, a, a reference to a newspaper story of the time, I believe. And don't, I don't know if John Dillinger was... I mean, obviously it was a gangster in the in the 20s, a bootlegger or something. But um, I think, I, I'm sure I recall reading something about it at some point. I don't know if you guys remember. No, it rings no, no I don't know. I haven't looked that up. No. Mm. So that's interesting because if that was based on a court case, the streetlight story was also based on a news story because he says, mm. you know, the car's parked, whatever it is, 20 feet from a street lamp, the design of which I don't approve, incidentally. It is also within 25 yards of a street lamp, the design of which, incidentally, I do not approve of. <laughs> And that was a reference to A.E. A. E. Matthews, who in March 1958 mm. camped out in his garden drinking brandy, which he did approve of, because he was in a 400-year-old house and didn't want a streetlight put outside because it would be inappropriate. Um, there's even a little clip of his interview on um, on BBC. I've seen that. He's wonderfully sloshed, isn't he? And he's about 80-odd. Mr. Matthews, do you not like lampers? Like them? I hate them. I never... No, they're all right years ago. We've got... They kept them then, you know, rather like they are. But just the design of this particular one you're not pleased with? No, they're rather... It's like a gallows, you know. And and, and Hanny, how? I haven't done anything to be hanged. Uh, what are you going to do tonight? Uh, say, say they come back. Are you going to sit out there until it's 
obvious that they won't try to put it there anymore? Well, when you've gone, I, I'm, I'm going to start sitting now. Oh, immediately, yes. You won't stay out all night, then, Mr. Mayor. Yes, I shall have a drink. Yes. Yes. My wife brought me some... Uh, Hot it's chocolate. a good idea to get it in. She brought me some brandy and milk. She did? Yes, it's very yeah. good. And it's the only way I get it now. She hides it, you know. <laughs> and anyhow, I'll get another drink if I sit. It's worth sitting there. <laughs> what, all that time just for brandy and milk? No, it's just worth it. He said, it said, the headline says, octogenarian, so he's in his 80s and he's sitting out in his garden with his blanket and a glass of brandy to stop him putting a lamppost in the road because he doesn't approve of the design, <laughs> apart from anything else. So again, that was another lovely reference to oh, yeah. a, news, a news story of the day. They did like to stick them in, didn't they? Because they knew they it would get a laugh. They certainly did. Yeah, yes. yeah. And, uh, and of course, uh, the other thing I like about this one is... Uh, Sid saying, you know, well, you know, they, they all get knocked out, the police officers, by uh, throwing lumps of coal. <laughs> and Sid says, oh, well, they missed the other copper, so I picked up a brick and let him have it. Well, you won a first round, Hancock. Your car's still there. Of course it's still there. They've come up against a fighter in me. Well, you had a bit of help, boy. You were dead lucky that train went past just then. That copper didn't know what time it was when a lump of coal hit him on the back of the head. <laughs> he still doesn't. He hasn't come round yet. He's in the cottage hospital. <laughs> Good shots those train drivers, aren't they? They missed the other one, so I picked up a brick and let him have it. <laughs> he thinks it was them. <laughs> he, he thought it was them. <laughs> he thought it was them, you know. It's brilliant, isn't it? I love that particular. And, and then and then when Kenneth comes back and he says, oh, well, how's your head? And he says, oh, oh nasty. Quite nasty. Yeah. It's, it, it, quite nasty. It's all covered in bandages. And Hancock just says, paint it all black and put, put a badge put on it. Put a badge on it, yeah. John, instead, because yeah. he can't get his helmet on. Oh, it's a, just a, a brilliant picture. How's your head? Nasty. Quite nasty. All these bandages. I can't get my helmet on. <laughs> Never mind. Paint them all black and stick a badge on them. Nobody will notice. <laughs> And it's an odd line, isn't it? Because, of course, it was a, a blue uniform, but it was so dark blue, it looked almost black, I suppose, in the smog of the 1950s. But that always struck me as, like, did they used to have black uniforms? Because they're sort of black uniforms now, aren't they? But no, it was just a very dark blue, sometimes verging on black. Well, if you remember to the, uh, what's it, Hancock in the Police, mm. where they go, um, Kenny goes, so what about your uniform? Yeah, something in the midnight blue. Yeah. Yeah, midnight yeah. blue. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Mm. Yeah. Nice drophead. Um coupe. What about sport? What about a uh, car? Remember two seats a sports car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One thing I did notice as well on as a, a little effect that doesn't go quite mm. according to plan. And um Hattie says, Well, where's Bill? And Tony says, Oh, he's out in the garden cleaning the car. The eleven twenty three to Waterloo went by. <laughs> um, went by just now. And then you get a sound effect of a train and he says, Oh, and there it is. Sort of yeah. suggesting that the sound effect's late. <laughs> the 11.23 to Waterloo went by just now. 15 direct hits and two clouds of smoke, and there it is. Tub! Tub! Come quickly! I wondered, though, if that was a reference to an actual train going by, because that happens a few times in the, in the various series, doesn't it? Oh, it sounds like a sound effect. Uh, could be. But interestingly, the script doesn't mention the requirement for a sound effect at that point. So I wonder if the sound effect person just put it in because they thought that, that we should have the sound of a train going past. Could be. But I thought that was very interesting that uh, he just says, oh, yeah, there it is. Yes, as you say, when they were recording at the Playhouse Theatre, um, you yeah. often used to hear the tra trains leaving Charing Cross because uh, 
the, the PS are backed on to um, the Playhouse Theatre right, backed right. on to Char- to back to Charing Cross Station. But it was a different it was a different sound though, wasn't it? You could it, you could it tell was it was in the distance. Yeah. Yeah, but in fact, this was recorded at the Playhouse. Yeah, so that's why yeah. I thought. Yeah, and here it is because it sounds like it's an extra line added in, ad libbed almost, doesn't it? And it was ad libbed. That's definitely not in the script. Well, could be. Hmm. Could be. And of course, as well, you were saying about uh, mispronunciation. This is a lovely line as well. It's like quite the little fracas. Now we don't want any more trouble, sir. I'm willing to forget the last little fracas, but we're not having any more. <laughs> as opposed to fracar, which is the way you meant to say it. But uh, <laughs> I like that one as well. That was brilliant. And there's the 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 scene, even though he's the gruff policeman, it's like in. The Alpine holiday, they go all little fingers. Are we friends again? You know, yeah. it's just such, yeah. you know, yeah. little boys yeah. conquers kind of territory. Are we friends again? <laughs> Certainly. Little fingers? Oh. <laughs> I like that in that scene when, when the policeman comes back and they, uh, they sort of do a deal to move the car temporarily and then become friends. There's a, another beautiful Gordon Simpson line here where Hancock says, throughout the whole affair, you have conducted yourself with the utmost dignity and in a fashion most befitting a member of the Cheam Constabulary. Now, that that just flows. That is a beautiful line. It is, and, yeah, it's lovely, isn't it? I mean, put the clip in there, John, because he says it a lot better than I do. <laughs> oh, he definitely does. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's a grand line, that one, isn't mm. it? Throughout the whole affair, you conducted yourself with the utmost dignity and in a fashion most befitting a member of the Cheam Constabulary. <laughs> yeah, it just shows he's sort of, yeah, he'll suck up to you if you kind of are going to go along with what he wants, really. Mm. Mm. And then Kenneth's response, which I can't remember off the top of my head, is also brilliant. He says, I have admired your tenacity in standing up for your rights. Your rights. Yeah. 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 I say, I've admired your tenacity in standing up for your rights. If only they'd started speaking like that at the beginning of the episode, (laughs) uh, threatening to steamroller it into the road and yeah. Bill quick going lie yeah. in front of the car and all the cranes pulling <laughs> off bumpers and all that jazz. They could have knocked it out in eight minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, could have done. But I love, I love that bit where he, where Bill says, uh, put me down, I don't want to be part of the road. And then Tony just says, not so much the old lip there, boy. Mm. I mean, it's just a brilliant line. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Are you going to get up, sir? No, you're not going to touch my friend's car, so there. Right, Fred, lower the oak. <laughs> Hook it under his belt. All the way. That's it. Swing him clear. Put me down. Yes, you put my friend down. That's it, Fred. Swing him over the edge. Help, Tom. Help. And you've got the whole thing as well about, you know, I've landed on your your, your pearl drops or whatever. He said, well, that's no good. When my face grows, I won't have any teeth. <laughs> you fool, why didn't you stop them? Well, I tried to. They put the hook under me collar and swung me over the fence. <laughs> if you landed on my flower beds... I, I didn't do much damage, Tub. I, I missed the chickens, but I think I landed on your snowdrops. You nincompoop. Do you realise what this means? When my face grows, I won't have any teeth. <laughs> because uh, he goes on about how he's got his, you know, he's got his glands doing the, the crest, his family tree crest or whatever, and this and that, and, you know, the clock being, you know, at quarter to three, all look like Jimmy Edwards. 
Yeah. Um, he's face done in flowers in the in the front garden. Very twee. And when all the flowers come out, the hands uh, the hands will be pointing at ten to two, uh, pointing to his ears. That'll be ten to two. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's yeah. a lovely idea. This flower bed that Bill carefully, slowly ruins by being thrown over the hedge twice. I've got my coat of arms in one bed, <laughs> and there's the, the number of the house in another, and then there's there's my face in the centre. Really not. I thought you were going to have a clock. Well, it's combined. <laughs> my face is the dial and the hands are stuck on my nose. <laughs> so when they're pointed to each ear, it's ten to two. Oh, I got it. And at quarter past three, you're going to look like Jimmy Edwards. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and it is, would you say, it's sort of semi-circular script, I would say, Martin. Because, of course, at the end, there are... Them... I was wondering who was going to bring that up first. I, I wouldn't dare. <laughs> hitting the car that they've spent all this time and he's banging on about how they've been throwing lumps of rock at it, even though it's kept him in fires for the best part of the last 10 years. But then they're hitting it and uh, glass going through the windscreen and all of that. Hello, the 10.42 to Waterloo's going by. There they go. They've started even coal at it again. Hey, blimey, they're hitting it every time. Look. They'll smash it up. Great chunks going through the windows. Look, my windscreen's gone. Look, four bits gone through the hood. Their aim's improving, isn't it? They haven't missed once. They must have a rangefinder on board. Tony's solution, of course, is to stop the trains going by. Bill, quick, go and lie down on the railway lines. He'll, no, no, Tub, no, I won't. And, um, yeah, it just descends into chaos with the <laughs> argument from there. And Bill says, we're not going to take this lying down. Just, well, you are. You are, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's a brilliant that, line, isn't it? That's one of my favourites, yeah. That's Tony says that, not yeah. Bill. Is, bit, yeah. yeah, Tony says that, yes, yes. What do you want? Go and lay on the railway line. <laughs> no, I won't. Grab him, grab it, Miss Pugh, some rope. We'll tie him across the line. No, Tom, please, don't do it. Take his legs, we've got to stop the 1223. Why am I always uh, the... Look, it won't hurt, Bill. You just lay in front of the train. We'll see who gives in first. Yeah, but I always get this sort You of can a... trust me, Bill. We're not going to take this line down. Well, I mean, you are, but... Oh, no, not this time. Once it's is the an... only way force must match force. How many I'm times have I asked Beautifully done by him, though, isn't it? Yeah. It's wonderfully performed. I must have really enjoyed themselves doing this one, I think. Oh, I think a bit like East Cheam Drama Festival. Yeah, it comes over, mm. doesn't it? It really comes over that they are really enjoying themselves mm. doing this episode. Could I ask a serious question, though? No. Mm. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> we serious. don't do serious questions on this podcast, Mr Gibbons. So, so who can tell me in detail what the provisions were of the 1958 Road Traffic Act because I couldn't find it anywhere. No, I when couldn't. I kept looking it up, I, looked it I up. kept looking it up, yeah. and all I could find was an Australia Road Traffic Act of mm. 1958, mm. which didn't really help. Mm. Well, the Road Traffic Act dates from 1920 or 23, and it's the same, and then they update it in 88. Mm. But, I mean, essentially every year it would have been an update on the previous Road Traffic Act. So they, mm. in modern times, we refer to it as the Road Traffic Act from the 20s, and then updated in 88, and I'm sure they've updated it since. There might have been changes to the law relating to traffic that year, and it might just have been mm. known as the Road Traffic Act in newspapers and stuff, when in, in fact it might have had a very different, perhaps more complicated yes. name. Um, so mm. it might just be what people refer to it. Um, it, might, it might not have been an act at all. It might have just been some regulations that were brought in or something. That's right. But, uh, yeah. 
I mean, I found yeah. I found a 1956 Road Traffic Act mentioned, mm. but it was in Hansard and it was incredibly detailed mm. and ran to hundreds of pages. And I thought, yeah, I'm not going to get the answer out of this. No, no good grief. <laughs> That's the last place. You're, if you want to know about an Act of Parliament, don't actually look at the Act of Parliament. That's the last place to look. That's the last place to go. Yeah, you, you need to be a qualified lawyer to be able to do that. It's complete, complete gobbledygook. I stopped very quickly. <laughs> So the other legal point on this one, though, which was very interesting, was the reference to Rex versus Crippen. Might is not right. Temper it with justice. <laughs> Rex versus Crippen. Third day. <laughs> Crippen speaking. 79 for three. Yeah. Oh, yes. Mm. Dr. Crippen. Mm. Well, there was a... I mean, I looked it up as a 1910 case. Um, yeah. Dr. Crippen, who had poisoned and dismembered his wife and hid her remains under the cellar floor. And then they caught him on a ship on the way to New York. Apparently my great-grandfather was a bosun or was one of the crew on that ship. Oh, oh really? Oh, okay. Fact of the week, apparently. So, so the anecdotes tell me it could be utterly made up, but so I'm told. But it seems quite a... Well, obviously, we. I mean, I guess it's reasonably well-known even today, but yeah. it seems like a case from quite a long time ago to be referencing. It was a big case, though. It was the first person caught by Marconi, you know, um, dash, 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 dot, dot, dot. What's that called? What? Morse code. What? Morse. Morse, code. Morse code. Yeah, for Morse code on the Marconi wireless system or something. It was the first, So it was... I mean, they made the film of Dr. Crippen with um, Donald Pleasance, I think, at some point in the 50s or 60s, probably. Ah, that probably is giving Which could it be a, a more, reference. Yeah, a more recent reference, then. But, it's, it's a big case. I remember reading a book of all, all these crimes of the century when I was a teenager because I loved all that. Uh, got that from my mum. Um, my father always thought she was plotting something. A number of those she read. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's a wonderful book about all uh, the Dr. Cripping cases. Fascinating uh, stuff. Now, of course, they reckon actually the body wasn't his wife. It was a male body, apparently, according to DNA. But there oh, we go. Okay. Interesting. The Crippin film, though, was from 1962, so it it would have would have been uh, after this, but so after it this, remained yeah. in popular culture. So when we think back to this episode and say some of it's a bit surreal, some of it's really quite realistic. Mm. But one thing I did notice, and it's something you rarely hear in a Hancock's half hour, is a proper comedy so um, sound effect. Yeah, the bumper coming off the car and the <laughs> spring. Be careful, it won't take the strain. Well, that's the bumper moved anyway. <laughs> oh, yes, that's a very doingy spring, I think. A very doingy it. spring. It's almost a goon show type, um, almost a goon show type sound effect, yeah. which, which sort of jumps out as being very unusual for a Hancock's half hour, particularly one of these later ones, which is, as you say, is, is more in the... Uh, the realistic yeah. type of story. Well, you often see them writing a script, don't they? You know, as much of this as you can go mad in terms of the sound effects. So they did yes. like to use sound effects to great comic effect, and they gen generally always work. There's never They're never too underdone, I think. Never no. too overdone either. I put a tweet out the other night asking telling people that uh, we were going to be uh, recording this podcast with uh, Hancock's car and asking them what their favourite line is or what they like about it. Had some interesting responses. We had uh, Nick on Twitter said that he loves the part where Hancock 
lets the audience imagine what the cat has done to his car. Um, and then a yeah. pause in his perfect timing. We mentioned that just now. I mean, that really is um, superb, isn't it? That, and uh, oh, the, the audience know yes. exactly what's coming there. And then he just comes in with that sort of punchline perf perfectly. Rick Blackman, who's uh, one of our members, he said, well, it's not just one line, but the whole bit where, Grisol where Griselda makes dirty great bins of cauliflower cheese and the reactions of Tony, Sid and Bill then the joke being extended to offering some to Kenneth Williams as the copper. Stick some under your helmet for later, he said. So, yeah. 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 Won't you come in, Constable? Anything I can do for you? Have some cauliflower cheese. Oh, thank you, sir. I'm on duty. Oh, well, put some in your helmet for after. <laughs> That's great. And, of course, later she, uh, she then says something about who likes whatever it might be. Stuffed like, cabbage. Stuff, None stuff of us. Cab oh, good, I'll go and make some then. Yeah. <laughs> and, then yeah. Stuffed, and then stuffed marrow. Yeah. Stuffed, stuffed marrow. cabbage, stuffed marrow and mm. cauliflower cheese. Oh, I love a bit of stuffed marrow. Gary Tortolano um, tweeted his favourite line, which is, uh, great lumps of Welsh anthracite bouncing off the bonnet. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 And uh, Darren Bryant likes the uh, not chickens mush there, uh, birds of paradise. That's right. Paradise. Yeah. Julian Dutton uh, did an interesting tweet. He said that um, Hancock's speech in, in the court where he morphs into barrister speak is, is masterly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. In the fair name of British justice and liberty, I demand my rights as a citizen. Oh, dear, it is one of those. <laughs> Very well, continue. <laughs> me lad, me lad. My car has been parked outside 23 railway cuttings, my own abode, mark you, in a de-restricted street without any complaints from the neighbours, passing pedestrians or cars. It does no harm. It merely enhances the neighbourhood with its beauty. And therefore... <laughs> I demand! Yay, demand! That I be found not guilty, discharged, and walk from this court a free man. It's a similar sort of speech to In Twelve Angry Men in many respects, yes. isn't it? And some of yeah. the other court-based ones. Mm. And our friend Pete Mercer said um, the colour scheme, orange and heliotrope, that, uh, that he likes. What a colour scheme. Yeah, yeah. So, Tim, the question is, when are you going to paint your car that colour? Well, should I do my mini in heliotrope? A true fan, yeah, I think you should, with a tartan hood and a pink wall tyres. And, and don't, yeah, so don't forget the pink wall tyres. <laughs> so then, I guess it's uh, time for some scores. So what do you think you're going to give that one, young Martin? Well, I think I probably ought to buck the trend of all my previous scores. And I probably will score this one 11 out of 10, <laughs> if I may, for the very first time. I mean. uh, it's, it's definitely my favourite episode. I, it's just classic and classy from start to finish brilliant brilliant acting from all the cast perfect timing as you say sometimes with pauses sometimes it's it's a, a more rush line and the two performances from kenneth as the policeman and the judge are mm. absolutely sublime it was the episode that started me on the road to enjoying all the hancock's half hours that i've enjoyed over the years um it's got a very i'm very fond of it because of that i think um so it's 11 11 out of 10 for me for this one Again, uh, I sort of concur with Martin. I think one of the joys about that episode, and actually 
record this podcast as now as knowing it's Martin's favourite episode. And seeing Martin's face lights up when he talks about it, I think it's absolutely <laughs> lovely. And I think it's it is it is the reason why we all do this and why we um you know why we why we listen to it because it just brings so much joy and it evokes so many memories. Mm. I think this one has just got so many great gags. I think I spoke about it earlier, but that golden fifth series has just got so many great episodes, and this is no exception. I think it's wonderful. I think mm. it's been delivered expertly by each member of the cast. Um, I love Kenneth Williams as the policeman and as the judge, particularly the judge. Sid plays his part, Bill plays his part, Hattie's in there. Uh, yeah, wonderful lines all the way through. And for me, there's nothing to not like about it, so it's a 10 out of 10. I won't go 11 out of 10, but I'm going to go 10 out of 10. Brilliant. And in actual fact, when you think, Hancock's Carl, what was on the following week? East Sheen Drama Festival. Oh. What, what, you know, what, what a, a run of fantastic episodes these were. Can you imagine how excited it would have been at the time to to know, to, to be listening to these sort of back-to-back for the first time? Yeah. I mean, I know yeah. when I listened to them the first time, I was, you know, my yeah. sides were hurting when I was laughing so much. So what it must have been like then? It must have been incredible. It must have I'd been. go from strength to strength, mm. and particularly in this series, which I think, most people consider the fourth and fifth to be the best series. The the fifth, they really they had it on pat, didn't they, as a team? So, what do you think about about you yourself, Tim? Well, I I, I just think it's just a wonderful episode from start to finish. Um, I think it's got a lot of realism in it, and I think it's it's heading that way. Although there are one or two surreal moments with uh, Bill being hoisted up by the crane or whatever. If you just take away those mm. couple of bits. It's 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 very much the the real the realistic style that Galton Simpson were moving on to. And I mentioned earlier that that opening sequence, you know, when you got over four minutes just chatting about cleaning the car, you know, and you've got several scenes in this which which could stand up on their own. And the lines, I mean, Galton Simpson's script, I mean, it it really is bordering on the perfection. It's just there's just wonderful words in it it just flows from start to finish some absolutely wonderful lines that we've been talking about in this podcast and the cast again i think as as you guys have said they were just having a whale of a time they're on the top of their game it's a brilliant series they're all confident gorton and simpson are confident and i i think we i think it was james mentioned before when we was doing the east team drama festival that gorton and simpson had the confidence to to do something different and their confidence shines through in this it's just an amazing script amazing performances it's it very much laughter the whole way through it's not as madcap as some of the others in this series um but it's as you know i think it's 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 a little bit more realistic although not quite sunday afternoon at home but yeah i i i can't give it anything less than 10 i i just think this is, to me, this is what, and there are other, other episodes as well, but this is what Hancock's Half Hour is all about. And if you're saying to mm-hmm. someone, if someone says to you, I've never heard it or watched it or whatever, this is one of the episodes. You just say, well, listen to that. If you don't like that, you won't like Hancock. And that, that's all there is to it. It's just, uh, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, very it's brilliant. And uh, I'm very, very, very happy to give it 10. Yeah, I'm I'm much in agreement, really. I mean, I think this has never necessarily been one of my very favourite episodes, and there's quite a few car-themed episodes. You've got the jewel robbery and the 
the new car and Hancock's car, and I think there's another one in there somewhere. But you, you can't fault it, can you, really? Yeah. It's it's wonderfully performed. It's got some wonderful character bits, some wonderful lines, some beautiful kind of pomposity. And the interactions between Ken and Tony are, are great in this one. Um, they, they really get to have these little one-on-one conversations and... As, as a figure of authority for him to fight against just because he's so bloody-minded that he will. Uh, you, know, you don't have quite so much that Sid has to do in this episode other than grumble about cleaning the car, but Bill gets some lovely moments. Hattie gets her vindictiveness with uh, cooking things that no one else wants to eat. And, yeah, I think you can't fault it. Not off, not my one of my top five, but it's pretty damn close, so I'll have to give it a 10 out of 10. They don't come much better than this, and it's a wonderful example of excellent comedy, regardless of your generation and when you would have first heard it. It stands up today. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's one of those as we often say. It's not dated. No, Hancock's Half Hour is is timeless because it's 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 a story of Tony and his pomposity and failing to make it in the end. It seems surreal, but the the number of people I see posting pictures on Facebook and on social media they see in the news of a car that's been tarmacked round. Yeah, absolutely. Every time. Yeah. Yeah. There's loads of It comes up every month or two, doesn't it? There's a new one. And uh, everyone always piles on. Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot more cars around now, so you'd think it would be more commonplace now, and it almost Mm. certainly is. Mm. But the world was not that different a place in 1958. So that's a definitive 10 points, which is a darn sight more than an armful. And I think that's about it for this week. So do you want to take it away, Tim? Come and join us in the Tony Hancock Appreciation Society today. You can find us at tonyhancock.org.uk for all the information you need on how to join. For just £13 a year, you'll have access to the members area of our website and receive four magazines a year by email packed with information on Tony, his shows, and archive material. Members also get a digital-only bonus page supplement every quarter. Or you can have full-colour printed copies posted to your door for £16 in the UK or £26 worldwide. We're a friendly and welcoming bunch, so please do join. We have reunion events with archive displays, guest speakers and special screenings. Please do get in touch. We'd have questions, conundrums and feedback. To do so is very easy. Send your emails to podcast at tonyhancock.org.uk. And keep an eye on our Twitter accounts for the latest news on the podcast and all things Tony Hancock. Our Twitter accounts are East Team Lad, Tony Hancock Appreciation Society, and Very Nearly an Armful. This was the final episode in our current series. We'll be back after a summer break, so don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe for forthcoming episodes. For now, that's Very Nearly an Armful, so I'll say ta ta. It's Sayonara from me. Chickity Snitch. And this is GLK London closing down for a quick cough and a drag. Right, who's for a bucket full of cauliflower cheese? <laughs> I'd rather have the stuffed cabbage, please. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you've got enough bit of cauliflower cheese. Yeah, do enjoy a bit of cauliflower cheese. This has been an official podcast of the Tony Hancock Appreciation Society. Unfortunately, it was not written by Alan Simpson and Ray Gordon, whoever they are. The announcer was me, Robin Sebastian, currently appearing in the saloon bar of the Hendon Racket. Mm. They mentioned cauliflower cheese, stuffed marrow and stuffed cabbage. Now, I know what cauliflower cheese is. If you have stuffed marrow or stuffed cabbage, James, the chef, yeah. what do you stuff it with? 
stuffed cabbage. It depends, really. Other vegetables, like mushrooms, breadcrumbs. What, what would they have done in the 50s, then? Oh. Well, I met a recipe my mum used to do, which she probably picked up from her mum from the 50s, was stuffed marin. You basically fill it with a sort of a mincy bolognese-type shepherd's yeah. pie mix. It's actually quite Eastern European, that mm. style of cookery. It's quite lots of um, Polish, Ukraine. That sounds a bit um, fancy for the 50s. It's very, very simple. Like there's some, there's a like a potato dumpling which is stuffed with mince, almost like a potato gnocchi. I don't know if you've done gnocchi before, but oh, I love it's gnocchi. Kind of stuff of it's, it's called like a, I think it's called pierogi or something. Like that. It's I, I, I introduced I introduced gnocchi to this country. Did you now? Did you know, Tim? I thought it was gnocchi you introduced <laughs> to this country, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Yeah, I always say that, that the trouble with young people today is that they all they all think they invented sex in 2023, when the reality is that I invented it in 1972. Well, there we go. We, we, we bow to the master. <laughs> we've, all, we've all heard about you, the, uh, the Casanova of Benfleet there. <laughs> Can't wait to read about that in the bonus pages. <laughs> no, you'll you'll see it in the Scandal magazine first. <laughs> Sid, Sid James got an exclusive. <laughs>